the most in-demand tech skills for 2024, top tech trends for 2024, and how to prevent collapse in digital transformation. Those are just a few of the topics we're going to cover today in episode number 149 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 149. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here today. Yeah, thanks for being here. And thank you to the audience for being here today. This is the weekly podcast that covers everything related to digital transformation, including the people, process, technology, and strategy aspects of change. You can find episodes of this show at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can see all the new episodes as well as past episodes there. Um, you can also use that same page to go subscribe wherever you listen or watch the podcast or wherever you prefer to listen or watch, uh, listen to or watch this podcast. That's at transformationgroundcontrol.com. Uh, the show is produced by Major Tom Productions, um, which is a sister company to Third Stage Consulting, which is the company that uh, Kyler and I are both part of. So uh, Third Stage Consulting is an in independent tech agnostic consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach the third stage of digital digital transformation success. And uh, this is also a technology agnostic podcast too, which is probably worth noting. So we talk about all sorts of technologies and we're not affiliated with any of the software vendors. So I uh, appreciate you all being here today. We've got a great episode for you. We've got a, our opening segment, which will cover audience questions from our social media channels, as well as a couple of hot topics. We're going to talk about the top 10 most in-demand skills for 2024, as well as what to know about digital transformations in Asia. Uh, we'll talk a bit about that as well. And then later in the show, we're going to dive into... Um, a discussion around the top tech trends and predictions for 2024. It's that time of year where we've got to be talking about predictions. What what close to year end episode could, would be complete without talking about trends and predictions for 2024? So we're going to do that later in the show with the uh, with the audience, and then we're also going to have uh, Adam Cheatham on the show later. He'll be our our guest today. He'll be on with Kyler talking about how to prevent collapse and the rise of project restoration in digital transformation. So it should be a great discussion later today as well. So with that all being said, what are some of these uh, questions we've received here lately, Kyler? Yeah, well, we had some really great, really dense questions um, today that I wanted to provide to give some conversation. And if you haven't joined us before or you're coming back, thank you for coming back. Um, and we do questions every week here on Transformation Ground Control. So you can actually comment on any of our third stage consulting social media or Eric's channels, and we pull them to ask him real time and have a conversation about him. And these questions are not just for him, they're for our audience as well to engage in that diversification of the conversation. So highly recommend and would appreciate your insight in the comments too, so can, we can really have that collective conversation. So with that, Let's start. So this one is actually on 
um, your ERP software as we know it video, which is actually pinned on your TikTok and on your YouTube short. So it's one of the highest, most engaging videos that we that you have um, on those short form content channels. So highly recommend you head over to Eric's TikTok channel and um, check out that pinned content. But this one says, um, challenge accepted. And I do believe you're wrong, which is a lot of the, you know, kind of uh, spicy comments on these videos. But this one is interesting in the fact that the cloud is significantly more agile. And we know that data silos are the death of business efficiency. You will not be able to manage 25 unique small applications we will see more modern technologies be applied and business process standardization. The winner is on the best base layer of an organization. So the, the funny part about this comment and the reason why I wanted to bring it up is that's kind of what you're saying in that video, but the movement into cloud might be something that you want to mindfully consider. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to respond to that. Yeah, I, I, I think the the comment is a valid one. And I think it's one that exposes the constant push and pull or the constant conflict within digital transformation within enterprise technology in general. Um, when I say constant conflict, a conflict, I, I think it's healthy. Uh, first of all, you have, you know, on one extreme, you have big, massive ERP vendors that provide, you know, sort of that traditional monolithic ERP system. Um, and then on the other extreme, you've got all these best of breed solutions that are trying to do something better than the big, massive monolithic ERP systems can do it. And that competition is super healthy, but what it does is it creates a lot of options and a lot of pendulum swinging in terms of trends and you know what's right for our organization. I can make a really strong argument on either side of that uh, argument. Part of why I try to pick a side on videos like the one that that this person is is responding to is because you know you, you want to look at all these angles. You you want to make an argument for why ERP is bad. Why is ERP a bad thing, or why is cloud a bad thing? Um, we don't talk about that very much. We don't want to talk about that very much because it doesn't fit the software vendor narrative. It doesn't fit the hype around cloud. It doesn't fit fit the hype around where the where the industry is going. And don't get me wrong, big ERP systems very dominant in the market. Cloud systems dominant in the market. Cloud's not going anywhere, obviously. But you do have to look at what is the dark side. It's not all sunshine and unicorns and rainbows, there's a dark side to it. So yeah, the benefits might outweigh the risk, but we can't ignore the risk or we can't downplay the risks because that's how organizations get into trouble is when they downplay the risk, they don't understand the risk. And those risks, no matter how remote they are or how small they may seem, those risks are the things that, that will ultimately determine whether you finish your project on time, whether it's on budget, whether you get the business value you want out of it, whether you have realistic expectations going into the project, all that stuff is predicated on the fact that you, you need to make sure that you, you've identified those risks. So I'm not going to, I don't, I don't actually disagree or I, I mostly agree with that comment. Actually, I'm not going to disagree with anything that person's saying, but I think that's, that's my point is how do you, we have to talk about the risks. So that, that'd be my response to it. Absolutely. And very similar to how AI has become a launch point for marketing messaging, um, the the ability to understand the cloud and really kind of break down what that means as opposed to it just being, um, you know, a, a sales pitch messaging. But 
Speaking of sales pitches, I wanted to ask you this question on one of your most recent videos that uh, um, is called, what is the most important ERP software selection criteria? And this is actually one of my favorite videos. Um, this is one that you really want to go in and, and study for your demos or when you're going into an evaluation, really ask these questions. And this user said, um, hi, Eric, this is really a great question to ask. I don't like making neg negative comments but I have never heard such an important and simple question being answered in such a sales pitched biased and really unhelpful way. It's like my software vendor really didn't understand my simple questions and wanted to answer it in a totally different way because they wanted to talk about something else. And I thought that was a really kind of honest way about talking about demos. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond to this user. Yeah, I actually agree. And I know which video uh, that person's talking about. And it, it, I enjoyed making the video. I think it's a good video too. But there are, I was at a, just to give some context to people that haven't seen the video on my YouTube channel, it's a, it's one that I filmed at a software vendor conference. So I was asking people at the conference who were there for one, you, you know, they were there to learn about one type of system, or they were part of that systems uh, community. In this case, I think it was Oracle NetSuite. Uh, the Sweet World Conference was where I at, where I filmed the video. So in the video, I go ask a bunch of people, what do you think the most important factor is for choosing the right technology? And a lot of the people in the video were, um, you know, from different uh, software providers, technology providers. And yeah, they talked about their company and how, um, you know, how they address the what they think is the most important uh, need. Um, I could see why you might think it is somewhat commercial because they are, you know, they're using it as an opportunity to plug their um, solutions or services or whatever. Um, but I think if you dig below that, you see that they had, I thought there's some good responses in there. And I love hearing from people just sort of knee jerk reactions to what do you think? You know, I'm, and I'm, it's that style of video where you're walking around, I'm walking around with a microphone literally, and I'm just asking people what, what's the most important selection criteria when you're choosing software. And I just want to get a knee jerk reaction to it. So, uh, it's a lot of diverse opinions. Some of them are better than others. There's a little bit of, uh, self-promotion, you know, in their responses, which I agree with that. But I think if you could sort of look you know, take that all with a grain of salt and look below the surface. There's some, there's some really good responses in there, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think the question is, is definitely something that's in, important to understand when you're talking to your specific software vendor too, is being able to answer the questions that are important to you. Um, so it's always great to have kind of those, those crowdsource pieces. Um, the last question I want to ask you today is, is something that we've talked a lot about kind of careers and we have a lot of content around that. And this user asks, um, this information is so helpful. Thank you for sharing. I studied data science and can't find a lot of experience in getting data focused positions. Do you have any tips? I want to volunteer for internships, although data sharing is something that can be kind of sensitive. Good question. It is a good question. I think if you can, um, you know, be, be part of a, a data science team or a data analytics team that's established within an organization, they'll have the, the right data security protocols in place that, you know, it's probably easier for them to navigate, bringing on someone from the outside to, uh, to learn the ropes, if you will. So I think, you know, one of the best things you could do is look for organizations that have big data security groups or data analytic groups. You know, you look, you think of like uh, companies like Google and Microsoft, you know, they all have big groups that probably, hire interns in that in that area and they know how to protect that data and um you know be as forthcoming as they can with the data and, and working with that person 
um, while protecting the data at the same time. So I think, you know, you look to those big companies, especially that have those separate groups, I think you can find some opportunity there. Absolutely. I know a lot um, of starts in nonprofits and volunteering your services are a great way to kind of understand that as well and get some baseline experience while you are doing something like studying for a master's or things like that. So um, so great questions. And of course, if you'd like to investigate joining our team here at Third Stage, we are a growing company. Um, and you can email third or I'm sorry, you can email work at thirdstage-consulting.com um, and tell us why you want to want to join the team. So those are all great questions. Just as a reminder, you can pop your questions either here, wherever you're garnering this podcast, um, or you can pop them on all of our social media channels. We go in and pull them. If you really want one answered, you can put um, hashtag ground control on your question and we will search by that. So um, thank you so much for all these great questions and great answers in the comments as well. Um, that's truly the mission of this podcast is to kind of join that conversation. And we have a jam-packed episode and I'm really excited to kind of transition and evolve these questions into looking at some of our trending hot topics within the in enterprise tech space as well in a few. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to we're going to get to a couple of hot topics here in just a moment. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about the top 10 most in-demand skills for 2024, as well as digital transformation in Asia um, and some of the global lessons learned there. And then uh, after that hot topic segment, then we'll have our first, uh, our next sort of major segment of the show, the second major segment of the show, which is the tech trends for 2024. So we're going to hear from the audience and, you know, include my opinions, of course on what some of the top tech trends are to be aware of in 2024. And then later in the show, we'll have Adam Cheatham on the show to talk about preventing collapse, the rise of project restoration and digital transformation. So a lot to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 149. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also subscribe to the show there. You can also listen and watch on various platforms. Just simply go to transformationgroundcontrol.com uh, for all the options you have to listen to or watch this show. So, uh, Kyler, you've got a couple hot topics in store for us today. What, what's on your mind? Yeah, absolutely. So let's start um, with digital transformation in Asia. So as you know, here at Third Stage, we do have a global practice, but this article is really specific in this study because it talks about how global supply chains are really going to affect what your business can do as far as efficiencies moving forward and how you really want to keep a pulse on transformation trends across the globe. So I think it's a really good holistic view. Um, so it talks about some some key challenges that are identified specifically within heavy manufacturing Asian markets. Um, so it talks about the, the rise of this really unsuitable, as it calls it, technology. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this 
Eric, because it talks about how many companies in Asia still really rely on very outdated technology because they are less likely to have an appetite for change. They even use things like Excel for supply chain management. Existing hardware and software really may not be compatible with a global supply chain inventory management system in that way. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of respond to that and let us know, what if you do have a supplier that has really kind of outdated technology or if you are in a heavy manufacturing and you have to rely on somebody else? and their supply chain and really older technology, even if you might have a really new kind of shiny automated supply chain system? Mm, good question. I, I remember, you know, I did a lot of work in, in uh, Asia, you know, 15 years ago, maybe 20, 15 to 20 years ago, I did a lot of uh, project management for ERP implementations in Asia. And I remember one of the, the big sticking points we would have there is that labor costs are so much lower there and it's less of a material impact. I think it's becoming less true now, but it's still, you know, you look at like, if you're a, if you're a North American or a European based um, organization that's used to dealing in euros or dollars and the labor costs associated with those markets, um, it's, e it's easier to justify using automation to streamline operations and to minimize or reduce labor costs. But in Asia Pacific, it's not as high of a priority oftentimes because labor costs aren't nearly as high. So um, and again, that's becoming less true over time, maybe over time the, that'll normalize or, or, uh, even out the playing field, it'll be more of a moot point. But right now I think that's one of the challenges. So I think, you know, you have to look at understanding that, well, okay, if they, if they can't, if that supply chain partner can't justify technology investments for whatever reason, maybe it's because labor costs are lower, or maybe it's something different. Maybe they just don't have the budget or resources to do it. Um, you know, that's the reality of your supply chain. So how, how do you provide a better ecosystem and a platform for your ecosystem to collaborate from a technological perspective? Maybe you provide them logins to your, to your system, which we've seen customers or we've seen our clients do with their own vendor or their own uh, supply chain partners and whatnot. So there's just ways you have to work around that, but it's, you know, it's the reality of implementing technology in a, in a global supply chain. You're going to have disparity and usage of and maturity of technologies being used by these different organizations. So you've got to figure out a way to navigate it. Absolutely. And I know you talk a lot about specifically in your supply chain management content or here at Third Stage, the diversification of different vendors that you work with and kind of having that ability. And this study actually in their recommendations talks a lot about the importance of conducting a a vendor or partner audit on a quarterly basis, even if you do have contracts in place, just to understand what is the actual landscape of new vendors that are coming up in the marketplace, new suppliers, new partners, and actually engaging consultants to help you do this. And it's it's something that I've heard of on kind of a cursory level, but really never dived into. So I wanted to ask you, is that something you would recommend those those frequent audits? And should you engage help in doing that? Yeah, I, I do recommend it. I think especially now in the post-COVID world where the supply chains look different and we've exposed the vulnerabilities of supply chains during COVID. And, um, you know, I think we had decades of globalization leading up to COVID and we built supply chains based on that globalized, that stable global supply chain concept. Um, but what COVID is, it, it showed that there can be disruptions in supply chains that we weren't necessarily ready for. Um, so I think being able to to assess not just the technology being used by your supply chain and the supply chain partners, 
but also understanding the business processes and making sure that they're they're functioning the way they should. And I, I think that can be a highly effective uh, and important output from these sorts of health checks or audits that you're talking about. And, and as it relates to who should perform the, perform those health checks or audits, having an outside perspective uh, from an ind independent third party like third stage consulting is is an example of a party that can help with that in that it, it allows you to to bring some best practices and lessons from other companies and other industries that might apply to your your supply chain and ways to improve your supply chain. So it could be a really effective way to go about that. Sounds like it, because that sounds very complex, especially if you're you know dealing with a global supply chain that's crossing cultural and ge geography boundaries. Um, because they you know they talk a lot about the the overlap of currency and the challenges and how that looks. And there's just a lot of complexities that come into that. So it sounds like definitely a great opportunity to bring in some some experts. Um, yeah, for sure. But speaking about experts, this is a really this is my favorite time of year, by the way, because we we start talking about the top ten of twenty twenty four lists, and I just love kind of diving into each one of those lists. Um, and this one I thought was a really well-rounded list that talks about the top 10 most in-demand skills. And this is actually from Forbes, um, so a very reputable source. And the skills actually fall into two categories. We talk about technology skills and then what we call soft skills, um, even though um, technology skills are really enable organizations to harness the potential of that new frontier of technology. While those soft skills, even though I, I don't really like that word, um, they really maximize the human qualities of something that a machine cannot relate to. So the top 10 list of skills are identified. And I wondered if um, you wanted to be put in the hot seat and maybe guess some of these top 10 skills for enterprise tech in 2024. Sure. Uh, you want me to start guessing? Yeah, and before you start, I, I want the audience to be able to guess or vote on your your top ten um, skills as well. So so not just Eric, everybody, uh, but just yeah, just throw out some guests, and I'll I'll wish I had a, like a little ding ding or buzzer. Or something I know, like that or, or like on uh, what's that show? Is it not Jeopardy? Um, Family Feud, where you have to guess, oh, yeah. and whoever guesses the highest on the list uh, wins. We should do. We should. I'm gonna write that down actually. That'd be okay. Anyway. <laughs> so we're, full of good ideas happening real time know, here on transformation ground control. Um, one of them, I would say one of the highest ones has to be data science, data analytics, something along those lines. Is that on the list? Yes, it is. That is number six on the list. So very hmm. well done. Um, data. I thought, skills, I thought that'd so be number one or two. Interesting. It's, it's not, but I, to be, to be fair, I don't know if they don't say if these are prioritized, like one, two, three, oh. or four. They just okay. say the top 10 list. Um, we can assume that. But if you knew number one, I wouldn't say that would be the number number one. But uh, that okay. is on this list. And it talks about um, the proficiency in data science, kind of like what we talked about that question earlier, is really essential for not only ethical and transparent AI applications, um, but in in the business's ability to have healthy AI in their business to actually, you know, function the way it's supposed to. So good job. That's definitely on the list. Give me maybe two more guesses and then we can go through. Um, cybersecurity. Yes. Cybersecurity is actually number 10 on the list. Again, don't know the priority, uh, but building that security resilience is really critical for data breaches and cyber attacks. And then uh, I'd have to say artificial intelligence, unless they're including that in data science and data analytics. 
They're including that in a lot. Um, there's a lot of AI in there. So maybe, um, maybe guess one not, more and then more. That's not a standalone. Things. Okay. It's not, um, a, it's not a standalone technically. No. So then I'd say solution architecture, solution architect, that sort of thing. I would say that there's cloud computing. So that's definitely solution architecture and project management. So project okay. management is actually number three. And I think that's, that's kind of right. what you're talking about, the ability to kind of oversee people and technology, set objectives, prioritize resources, all, all while using new emerging technology um, to make sure that your system's ready for that while your, your business is ready for that as well. So yeah, very good. Yeah. Um, so I'll read you uh, a few more. So number one is actually generative AI skills. Um, so utilizing AI like chat GPT, um, identifying opportunities, developing solutions, managing change, and addressing ethical implications. So I wouldn't have put that probably as number one if we were prioritizing that, but definitely something that is coming as upskilling in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very interesting. That's, that's one uh, that would make sense that that'd be high up on the list for sure. Yeah. And then number two is actually sustainability skills. So these are talking about implementing environmental sustainability and net zero solutions are really becoming critical for business. Um, I think the, when I read this, I took it to mean sustainability skills of what is the sustainability um, and health of your technology, not so much environmentally, but that can go kind of hand in hand. Um, so what are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, that that is a, a really important uh, increasing um, skill set or, or area focus for a lot of organizations. I, I can see how that's a, a, a super important hot, hot topic, hot skill set to have uh, too, for sure. Yeah. And maybe something to ask in your evaluation, as we kind of talked about, like what was the company mission around those, those systems? So um, we talked a little bit about project management. We have actually two that are focused on communication skills. That's actually number four on this list. So this is communication, bridging gaps, interpreting data and analytics. So looking at those hard data skills of understanding data science, but how do you interpret it, interpret, excuse me, and communicate them effectively um, with the machines? So that's becoming something that's more important. We kind of call it here a lot of times that business technologist. So how does the data actually affect strategic decision making and how is it communicated through the organization? Yeah, yeah. That's a good one too. Um, and they actually have number five on here. That's kind of interesting. This is industry specific. So it's called clinical healthcare skills. So it talks about the rise of um, technology in healthcare, but there's still such a need for, despite those advances in things like AI, the human qualities like empathy and emotion, emotional intelligence, those really remain vital in healthcare specifically. And I think you can think about that for any kind of customer service industry as well, but specifically something as vulnerable as healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that's one that applies or could apply to a lot of different industries. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then the last three I'll kind of touch on here are interpersonal networking. So the ability to build trust and common goals remains important for personal and professional development. So this talks about when you are, integrating a new technology, how do you ensure that your community or your business trusts you in the ability to actually um, execute on, on that implementation? So an interesting one there too, kind of goes along with the communication skills. 
Yeah, I like how they're getting into the soft skills, not just the technical hard skills. And then we talked about cloud computing. So those technical skills in cloud computing are in demand, obviously, in the growing um, computing cloud market. Um, and then this one is really interesting. I'm excited. I saved this one for last because I want to hear your thoughts on it. So this is actually machine learning engineering. So human machine learning engineers are really becoming crucial um, despite the advancement in AI that simplifies the creation of these applications, you need someone that has the technical skills to manage it and then also the soft skills to communicate it. So what are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's uh, it, again, back to this whole thread of the, the soft skills. I mean, all the soft skills are really, really good additions. And it's funny because usually I start by thinking of those things. And this time I, when you ask the questions, I went straight to the the technical stuff. So um, yeah, I think th those are all those are all good ones. Absolutely. Well, if you have, um, if you want to add to this list, definitely drop it in the comments um, and I'll pick them up and we can kind of talk about them next week as we go into the latter half currently of, of 2023, the last month here, we're going into December. We do a lot of 2023 wrap ups and looking forward to 2024. So excited to hear from the audience on this one as well. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to keep going with uh looking to the future for 2024 as well by talking about the top tech trends for 2024. Uh, we're going to have a conversation, hopefully a very interactive one with the audience uh, to talk about what some of the trends are that you're seeing in the marketplace. We're going to, I'm going to start off by recapping a video that I published on my YouTube channel that talks about five technology trends and predictions for 2024 that I have in mind, uh, but definitely want to turn to the audience and get uh, audience questions and audience opinions on what they think the biggest trends are. So be sure to stick around for that. We're going to cover that in our next segment. And then later in the show, we'll have Adam Cheatham joining uh, you, Kyler, to talk about uh, the rise of project restoration and digital transformation. So a lot more to cover. Be sure to stick around. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 149. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And uh, this is the podcast that covers everything related to digital transformations, including the people, process, technology, and strategy sides of change. So thank you for being here today. Um, great uh, topic I'm excited to talk about here that will not entail a guest. Usually we have a guest to talk about this sort of uh, in our second segment here. Um, the guests will actually be our audience here today. Uh, we're going to turn to the audience to get a lot of comments and questions here. Um, so we're going to talk about some of the top, te top tech trends and predictions for 2024. So we want to understand, um, you know, what, what are those trends 
and uh, predictions that we should be aware of so that we can define a digital strategy for our organization in the coming year or years. So uh, with that all being said, let's jump into it. When I look at some of the trends I talk about in that video, the first thing that I talk about in that video for uh, digital transformation tech trends and predictions for 2024, uh, one of the things I talk about is the realization of AI and analytics. Um, it's pretty interesting how quickly AI has become very mainstream in the enterprise technology space just in the last year. Uh, if you think about it, it was really around this time last year that ChatGPT really burst onto the scene. And in 2023, especially in the early part of 2023, it really gained a lot of traction. And what it did is it forced this awareness of AI, even though AI is not new, it forced this awareness and buzz at the consumer level. And because there's so much awareness and buzz at the consumer level, that sort of percolated or, or uh, cascaded to the enterprise technology level. And so what you have is software vendors now trying to figure out how do we leverage AI? You know, maybe they were dabbling in machine learning and different components of AI analytics and things like that in the past, but now suddenly AI is top of mind for a lot of organizations. So the realization of AI and analytics is something that I think we, we need to look at and keep an eye on in 2024 and beyond because all the major vendors are talking about it. All the major vendors are trying to invest heavily uh, in the R&D um, cycle of AI, um, whether it's open AI or just using a other forms of AI to enable their their products. Um, those are some of the, the major ways that we're seeing uh, AI affect the enterprise technology space as well. Uh, the other prediction I had, so that was prediction one for my video. And again, I'm just gonna run through these real quickly and then come back to the audience and see what your thoughts are. So as I'm going here, if you have questions or comments, I'd uh, love to hear from you. And I'd also love to hear, uh, by the way, uh, starting with when I just mentioned the realization of AI and analytics, what are your thoughts? Do you think that's a big deal? Where do you think software vendors and technology providers stand with AI? Do you think enterprises are actually going to start to benefit from AI here in 2024? Love to hear your, your feedback in the chat here. And I'm going to come back to your, your questions and comments here uh, as it relates to these in just a moment. So prediction one, realization of AI and, AI and analytics. Uh, prediction two from my video was the increase of digital transformation failures. And what what's causing that, there's some sort of sub-trends underlying that that, that um, is, is contributing to that. And the reason I call this out as a, as a prediction or a trend for 2024 is because we've, if you think back or if you, if you sort of step back and look at the last three years since COVID, organizations have been in sort of go, go, go mode. They've been trying really hard to, to invest in technologies in a short period of time. In many cases, software vendors are sunsetting some older products. They're forcing customers to change quickly. And you're also running into some, uh, some labor shortages as a result of that. So in addition to having a spike in demand, the sort of created demand for digital transformations happening now within a very narrow or tight window, you add to the fact that finding good IT help and IT staff is very difficult. And so all those things are creating this perfect storm that is causing more risk and more transformation failures. And we're actually seeing that in our expert witness practice, as well as our practice for recovering failed or troubled digital transformations in ERP projects. So we sort of see the symptoms as a result of our business or, or the business that's coming to us. But if you dig below the surface and look at why is that happening, uh, those are some of the major reasons why, why that is. So transformation failures or the increase of failures is number two. And then number three on my list of predictions was the uh, deterioration of the traditional ERP systems. And this is something that I've been saying and predicting for a couple of years now, and it creates a lot of controversy. A lot of people 
there's some that agree with me and a lot of people strongly disagree with me. So I'd love to hear your feedback here on this point. But the reason I call out the, de the deterioration of traditional ERP systems is because you have such a proliferation of new technologies that are changing quickly and changing faster than the average big incumbent is able to adjust. So whereas you have some of the big providers like SAP and Oracle and Microsoft that are providing these big, scalable, massive solutions, which are great on one hand for the companies that, de that need big, massive, scalable solutions. You also have sort of the, the, um, the dynamic on the flip side of that, which is it creates an opening for a lot of startups and upstart technology providers and smaller technology providers to really attack certain vulnerabilities of their traditional monolithic ERP model. So you get, you know, examples of, you know, AI providers or CRM providers, best of breed solution providers, industry specific solution providers that will never necessarily be a big SAP, Oracle, Microsoft. They might eventually get acquired by one of those guys, but that's a whole different story. Um, they may not have that size and scale and reach yet, but they're going after a really narrow focused niche and they attack that niche um, more effectively than a lot of those big incumbent ERP providers. And this, in my opinion, is nothing new. This is something that's been happening in the market for a couple of decades now. I just think we're going to see it start to accelerate uh, quite a bit. And if you look back or you think back to uh, Salesforce.com, back when Salesforce.com started in the late 90s, or um, even Workday. Workday, I think, started around that same time, or maybe they were more like the early 2000s. Um, Salesforce is a CRM solution. Workday is a HR, human capital solution. They're not big, massive ERP systems, and they started off as very narrowly focused solutions, and they did that narrow solution really well. And it sort of chipped away at, uh, it's been chipping away at the traditional incumbent ERP providers, and so much so that now I would argue that Workday and Salesforce have become sort of incumbent ERP providers because they've done it so well. And now they've created these large platforms and these large um, systems that are competing with the traditional uh, ERP vendors. So um, that's the third thing on my list was the deterioration of ERP systems. And then the fourth thing was the proliferation of software platforms. So focus on more platform and less on just specific applications. And this may sound like slicing hairs to some degree, but it's a really important one because I think a lot of times when we go into a digital transformation, we think about what application or applications do we want to deploy and we often don't think about what's the platform that we want to deploy and then use that platform as a way to enable different types of applications that might enable the automation needs and the business process improvement needs of our organization. So that's that's um, one of the, the other ones is the, the software platforms. And then the fifth one on my list of trends for 2024 is uh, IT labor shortages, which I mentioned a moment ago. So organizations struggling to find good IT talent, partly because the labor market is a bit screwy, for lack of a better word, since since COVID. And uh, it's been hard for a lot of organizations globally to find good talent. And uh, un unemployment, despite economic uncertainty, unemployment is generally pretty low in many parts of the world, especially some of the more tech-oriented economies of the world. And that's creating a lot of uh, shortage uh, for, for technology. And again, when you combine the dynamic of this burst of activity in the digital transformation space, there's not enough labor or talented skilled labor to be able to keep up with that demand. So those were the five main predictions um, I had from that video. And again, if you want to watch that video, you can go to my YouTube channel and watch the video about uh, top trends and predictions for, for 2024. Um, but would love to hear 
uh, from the audience on, on your thoughts here as it relates to technology trends for 2024. So I'm going to turn to the audience right now and, and uh, get to some of your comments and questions. First of all, I want to thank you all for dropping in the chat where you're joining from today. Um, as I mentioned, we have people throughout, throughout the world uh, that have joined today. Um, Dubai in the UAE, Dubai again, two people from Dubai, um, Charmaine from South Florida, Toronto, Canada, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, White Rock, British Columbia in Canada. Just a few examples of um, where people are joining from today. So thank you for dropping in the chat where you are and where you're joining from. And uh, it's great to see such a global uh, community joining us here today. So uh, getting to some of the questions, though, um, and this is a really good one from Kyler on LinkedIn. Kyler says, how can a business ensure its processes are ready for AI? And I think this is a really good point because uh, AI has really put the spotlight on the importance of not only processes and how processes impact data, but just data itself. How are we, how are we cleaning up data? How are we migrating data? Um, how are we leveraging data to its full capability to be able to get the analytics and the business intelligence and the insights into our organization based on that data? And so AI, as powerful as it is and as exciting as it is, it's somewhat stunted or hindered by the fact that organizations yet don't yet have a handle on their data, the data sets themselves that they already have, the legacy data, as well as the business processes that contribute to uh, to the data integrity, if you will. And so I think to Kyler's question, how can a business ensure that it's ready for AI or that the processes are ready for AI? I think that's a key, it's a great question. And I think that in and of itself is sort of the answer, which is you have to define your processes and make sure you've mapped out your processes and use that as sort of a blueprint or a guide for how you're gonna deploy technology, particularly AI and the data and the analytics behind it. And so again, you can go, you know, you can go deploy all the AI enabled technology you want, but if the data and the processes supporting the data don't sync up or aren't effective, you're gonna end up with a really expensive tool that could do a lot if only you could get it to work. So uh, getting those processes and data um, things in place are, are very important. So that's a great question. We're here talking about the top trends and predictions for 2024. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 149. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyla Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also go to that same website to see all the past episodes of the show going back to day one in episode one. So go to transformationgroundcontrol.com and see what you've missed. Uh, we're here talking about top tech trends and predictions for 2024. Let's jump back into the conversation. McGroovy Sunday or M Groovy Sunday is the 
the handle or the name the username on uh, YouTube. Uh, M Groovy Sunday says, which smaller ERP startups do you think are on target to ups, usurp the or usurp the large ERP providers? Um, that's a great question, and uh, there are a lot of them actually. I mean, there's there are ERP providers. Um, you have ERP providers like um, there's they're focused on the ERP segment, which would be, uh, for example, like Acumatica um, is one that um, is not a new provider, but um, they are one that's sort of chipping away at a very focused segmented part of the industry, uh, particularly in, in manufacturing distribution in many cases. Um, and you have, you know, I can give you a, a bunch of providers, you know, a whole host of them. But I think the key here is I, I almost look a bit outside the ERP space itself to answer this question. And I look more at the either the functional focused to the functionally focused software providers and or the industry focused providers that aren't necessarily providing full blown ERP solutions, but they're providing a piece of it that provides really robust and rich functionality within that one area. And so I think that's a way to look at it is not just the traditional, you know, the traditional definition of ERP, but also what are these outlying areas within enterprise technology that are not necessarily ERP systems, but focus on specific parts uh, of the business. So um, there are there are a lot of them. There's, um, you know, certainly within the CRM space, you know, you have Sugar CRM, for example, that's one that's that's caught a lot of traction within just basic financials, especially for smaller companies. You have Zero, which is competing not only with you know, smaller ERP systems, but they're also competing with QuickBooks on the, on the finance and accounting side. So there's a lot of these, these smaller um, systems that may not be yet ready for a, a big Fortune 1000 or multinational organization. Um, in some cases they are though, but in many cases they may not be, um, but they are providing a lot of good options for organizations that may not have the budget or the risk tolerance to take on a, a big massive ERP system. So another good question here is from Moses on LinkedIn. Or I'm sorry, Moses on YouTube. Moses asks, with your number three prediction, is it viable moving a career into into Oracle Fusion supply chain management slash uh, or or SAP S4 HANA space? Um, so I think the question is, is it viable to move into a specific functional or a, a specific software provider space? I think is the question. Um, I'd say in the two examples you give with Oracle Fusion and SAP S4 HANA. Um, I'd say, yes, it is um, viable to move into those areas, despite the prediction, the number three prediction, by the way, just to recap, that was the deterioration of ERP systems. So I think the question here is, well, given the fact that you're predicting ERP systems may deteriorate, is it viable to move into a career in a traditional ERP provider like SAP Oracle? And I'd say, yes, absolutely. ERP systems are not going to go away overnight. Uh, they may never go. I don't think they'll ever go away. I just think that instead of having a relatively high market share and dominance of the market, that market share is going to come down and it's going to be undermined by other providers. But however, I, I don't foresee anytime soon a day where Oracle or SAP are struggling to survive, you know, as, as companies, I think there's a real risk, especially for SAP. I think there's a real risk that they could struggle with survival in the future. If they continue operating the way they have, I think at some point their size and scale and their, you know, relative inflexibility of the products may come back to haunt them and create some competitive disadvantages. And I think we're already seeing some signs of that where there are some competitive disadvantages, despite SAP's prominence in the market, despite the fact that so many big companies use SAP, there definitely are some vulnerabilities with their business model and their overall strategy that I think could create some threatening risks to them in the future. 
but I, it's not something I would say steer clear of these big guys because, you know, 10 years from now, they'll be gone. I don't think that's necessarily the case. And even if it were true, um, you know, the experience you get by implementing an SAP or an Oracle is, is uh, very valuable that you can apply to other, you know, technologies in the future if you decide yourself or if the market forces you to look at technologies other than the ones you might be focused on now within your career. So um, I know, for example, at third stage, when we hire people, we really like and are drawn to candidates that have experience with multiple systems. Um, just because we're tech agnostic, we don't focus on any one or, or set of systems. We we uh, we actually prefer people that have experience with multiple systems. So I don't think it's going to hurt you by any means. It absolutely will not hurt you to to focus on one of those big incumbents, at least for the next decade or more. This is from Kyler, and I was laughing at the next comment that I'll get to here in a moment. Um, so Kyler on LinkedIn says, I think businesses should prioritize healthy processes over technology. Absolutely agree with that. Could not agree any more with you. So that those business processes, especially with all the options in the marketplace and that sort of proliferation of platforms and different types of applications and things of that nature, um, that that trend points to the fact that you need to have really solid, solidly defined processes and not only just processes the way they work today, but what is your future state going to be? What is your vision for how your operational model, your target operating model and your business processes and all that stuff is going to work? Are you going to organize yourselves going forward? What's the shared service model you might be moving towards if you're going to consolidate your HR functions or your accounting functions, IT functions across the world? Those are all things that you want to have really well defined and use that as a way to enable the processes that or the uh, technologies that you might deploy rather than assuming that the technology is just going to help you define your processes themselves. Now, I will say that, you know, when it comes down to like transactional workflows and how a, a, a customer order moves through a supply chain or whatever the case may be, when it comes to the really specific transactional workflows, yes, technology needs to drive those processes. But when you're looking at the more macro level above that, you need to define, you know, what is it we want to be when we grow up operationally? And what do those business processes need to look like? And this is the comment I was laughing at a moment ago, moment ago uh, from Anders on LinkedIn. I actually agree with this comment, so I'm not laughing because I disagree. I, I'm just laughing at the delivery of this very true statement, which is two top trends. Every single announcement will discuss AI. Um, that's his headline uh, trend here. And I think that's probably the safest uh, prediction we could make for 2024 is that any vendor announcement, it, and you already see it, actually. I think you're already sort of calling out the way things have already materialized which is you go to any vendor conference. I go to a lot of these vendor conferences and I sort of, I try to keep a pulse on what vendors are announcing for their roadmaps and where they're going in the future. And I can't think of a particular time in the last six months where a vendor has talked about the roadmap without mentioning AI, usually first. I mean, AI is typically the number one thing they're talking about. And again, it goes back to my point that it's really fascinating that it took sort of that consumer tipping point, that, that consumer adoption tipping point in order for enterprise technology providers to start thinking about how can we how can we now start enabling our technology with AI now that you know all these people that are using our systems they're consumers too they're at home using ChatGPT for you know helping with their kids homework or whatever um, so when they're going to be using technology at work now they're going to expect a similar sort of capability and experience it's a lot like when social media really took off in the you know 2005 2010 time frame, um, you know, with Facebook, especially, you saw that the vendors really shifted pretty quickly to try and create a user interface that looked and felt more like, you know, a, a Twitter feed or a MySpace feed or whatever, 
Um, I think some of them try too hard. You know, they're trying too hard to replicate something that's not necessarily relevant to to enterprise technology, but they're recognizing the fact that end users of their technologies were also end users of Facebook at home, and they were used to the Facebook experience or the Amazon experience or the Alibaba experience if, in other parts of the world outside of where I'm at. So, you know, I, I think that's what you're seeing now is now enterprise tech providers are sort of trying to catch up to where the consumers are and they're trying to meet the consumers where they are. Although in this case, I'll say AI is a lot more relevant to enterprise technology than it, social media, social media's impact on uh, enterprise tech, in my in my opinion. There's an interesting comment again from Anders as a follow-up to his, his comment before about AI being in every announcement, but he says the top trends, number one, AI is in every single announcement anywhere and no marketing piece goes out without it. Absolutely true. I agree with that. In fact, it does make me wonder though, if you're a software vendor, is there some other message that might make you stand out if you don't talk about AI? Um, I don't know. You just sort of, maybe, maybe AI becomes a bit secondary for some software vendors and they have some other great magical feature that they want to focus on instead. I don't know, but that'd be the only potential exception I could see there. Uh, but the second thing uh, Andrew says here, he has two top trends. One is that AI being in every single announcement. Number two, the instant disappearance of blockchain and headless as bu buzzworthy concepts. And uh, blockchain especially, it's really interesting that you say that because it's funny how quickly the blockchain buzz died um, when AI came along. All of a sudden now we're not really talking about blockchain like we were a couple of years ago. You know, in certain spaces like in food and beverage, you, you you do talk a lot about it. Supply chain management relies on blockchain quite a bit, just to be able to, um, just to be able to see, um, you know, what's going on in your supply chain and be able to track food and um, other regulatory re reporting requirements um, throughout the supply chain. So, um, yeah, I think it's interesting how quickly the trends have shifted, and it brings up another point, which is I don't recall a time in my career in twenty five years where a single technology and a single trend really took the world by storm super fast, even though, again, AI is not new. AI didn't just come out last year, but OpenAI and ChatGPT made it very popular. And, you know, it's so much so that you start seeing AI and ChatGPT talked about in pop culture. Um, South Park had a, you know, for those of you in, in North America that are familiar with the show South Park and maybe other parts of the world too, uh, it's a comedy cartoon sort of show. And uh, they, they're usually good at keeping up with pop culture. And that show, and they had a whole episode about ChatGPT. So that's just a sort of a reflection of where we are in society, which is um, AI is certainly a buzz right now. But I, I don't recall a time in my career where something caught on that quickly and really took the world by storm in the enterprise tech space. I mean, analysts are always trying to create, analysts and vendors are always trying to create buzzy stuff, right? But this is one that they couldn't control. Um, this is one that just, you know, came out of, in some ways came out of nowhere and uh, caught, caught fire pretty quickly. We're here talking about the top trends and predictions for 2024. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. 
Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 149. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyla Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also go to that same website to see all the past episodes of this show going back to day one in episode one. So go to transformationgroundcontrol.com and see what you've missed. Uh, we're here talking about top tech trends and predictions for 2024. Let's jump back into the conversation. So a question here from Kyler on, on LinkedIn. Uh, Kyler asked, what about interoperable solutions? Are these going to be mainstream moving into 2024? And that's uh, a great point. Um, and I'm looking at my notes. I have my notes here that I used when I actually filmed that YouTube video to see if I even talked about interoperability. I did not. I don't believe I talked about interoperability in that video, or at least they're not my notes for me to talk about it. But if you watch my YouTube videos, you can probably tell I don't stick to a very solid script. I usually, uh, I do move around a bit. I go off script quite a bit. So it could be that I mentioned it in passing, but it was not one of my main points. But I do agree that interoperability uh, is an important trend. Um, that's certainly one that um, fits with the, the software platform prediction, as well as the deterioration of ERP systems. So the fact that you have more focus on a platform that enables different applications, different third-party applications on that same platform, that creates a need for interoperability. So now you have a platform that's great. You're all on the same platform, but you still have different applications now that you're trying to manage and interoperability solutions are ways to tie together those systems. And I think interoperability too is going to be really important as we go into 2024. And this is one that I would actually adjust, you know, from the time I filmed that video three months ago, I think it was, um, until now, one thing that we're noticing in our business at third stage consulting is that organizations just in the last, I'd say 90 days, they're becoming, they're becoming more conservative and a little bit more cautious with how they approach their digital transformations. I'm not sure what exactly is driving that, but it is something that we're, we're sensing or we're, we're sort of seeing uh, here in the second half of the year where organizations are saying, hey, let's hold off a minute here on, on a full-blown massive digital transformation. Let's do some smaller scale incremental improvements now and, and sort of wait and see on the rest of the stuff, you know, wait and see how the economy turns out or wait and see how our business goes in the coming year. And um, with that comes the opportunity for more interoperability types of solutions. So now instead of saying, we're going to rip out all of our back office systems and replace them, now organizations are more likely to say, well, hold on, we're, we're not going to take that high risk, high reward approach. We're going to take a, a more incremental approach that that's more aligned with our budgets. It's more aligned with our, our uh, risk tolerance and all that sort of thing. So that is uh, for sure, interoperability is, is certainly something that is important. And that's why you see companies or vendors like Palantir and Snowflake that provide these interoperable solutions that are not meant to replace back office systems, but they're meant to coexist with them and tie them all together. Somewhat, you know, some might view it as more of a Band-Aid solution. So it's a way to put lipstick on a pig or tie together, you know, using Band-Aids and duct tape the systems you already have, but 
it is a it is a good alternative. I mean, it, it there's nothing there's no rule out there that says you have to go through a big massive transformation right now. I know um, software vendors and and industry analysts they all talk about technical debt, uh, and they they love the term technical debt, which in my opinion is just a buzzword, and, and it's a it's a very effective and a, a very well um, what's the word I'm looking for. It's it's very well crafted. It's it's very those words are very deliberate. When you say technical debt, um, the intention there, the implication is that you are behind, and you better get out of debt because we're we're conditioned to think that debt is bad. We don't want debt. We don't want to be in technical debt. So we better invest in a bunch of new technology so we're not in debt. Um, so analysts will create terms like that or future proof. You know, we want to future proof our business. I just sort of roll my eyes when I hear those terms because they they don't. They don't make any sense. They don't mean anything. They're not true, but it creates this perception of um, this sort of burning platform for change. We need to do it now. And, uh, you know, that's the job of the, the software community is to create that urgency, to create that need, that desire, that demand for their, their product. So I, I get what they're doing, but as a buyer and as an organization that's trying to deploy technologies, it's really important that you, you know, sort of back up a bit and say, okay, well, let's look at what makes sense for us. Let's not panic because we have all this quote unquote technical debt that we need to get rid of. Let's be measured and, and rational about it along the way. And uh, Kyler did my dirty work for me here behind the scenes on, on LinkedIn. Uh, shameless plug. If you're interested in joining our team, email us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. So thank you for making that plug there. Yeah. If, if you are in the space or you're in the ERP technology space and you're interested in joining a growing team in a successful independent technology agnostic consulting firm, feel free to um, email us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. And I'll leave that on the screen just for a second. So you have that too. So here's some additional uh, interesting uh, comments. This one's from uh, Lisa on LinkedIn. There's no getting away from AI now. And she's here from Austin, Texas. So thank you for joining uh, here today. I'm curious to hear too from the audience, uh, just a question for all of you. What trends are you seeing? Like, what do you think is going to really shake the world here in 2024? What trends are you already seeing? They're starting to pick up steam that, that I, we haven't talked about, or perhaps you want to build on any of the things we have talked about. Love to hear your comments, your predictions for the coming year. We've got a lot of really smart people uh, in this discussion here today, which is why who needs a guest on the show when all of you are here. So that was uh, that was part of my rationale for for not having a guest here today. I don't see who this is from, but it's someone on LinkedIn. I don't see the name, so I apologize for that. Uh, but this is a question on LinkedIn. What is coming after AI? That is a great question. And I, I wish I had an answer for you. I think AI alone is going to consume our focus and advancements in enterprise technology here for the next couple of years, at least. So it's hard to, th to think about what what's next. You know, what's that next chat GPT moment that's going to totally tip the scale and create all this buzz and this mainstream adoption of a certain technology. I wish I knew if I did know, I'd probably start a software company and do it. And who knows, maybe that's the, the way to go. But, uh, you know, I, I do not have an answer for you on that, but I love to hear the audience. If you have any thoughts on what is the next AI, like what's the next big thing? Uh, because honestly, you know, other than AI on my list here of five, my, my five predictions for 2024, my five trends for 2024, they're all sort of like incremental, um, trends, you know, they're not big, massive trends like AI, um, you know, to Anders's point from LinkedIn, he, he talks about blockchain and blockchain was a big thing. What was that two years ago, three years ago, maybe, um, it still is, but it just doesn't have quite the, the buzz and the obsession that, uh, a lot of enterprises have with AI right now. So I'm curious to hear from the rest of you, um, 
what, what you think is next. And here's a potential answer. This is from Ron on LinkedIn. Ron says AGI comes after AI, artificial general intelligence. I don't know what that is, but I would love to hear more. If uh, is that a, I'm just curious, is that a real term or is that something that you're suggesting could be a term or a, a, an evolution of AI? I feel like I've heard that AGI term before, but I, I don't know a lot about it. So I'm curious to hear hear more if any of you in the audience have have some answers or details about it. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Here's a great question, and we're going to continue talking about AI, which I had a feeling we would uh, throughout this conversation. I feel like we we I had a feeling coming in that we'd spend a lot of time talking about AI, which to several of your points here so far, it's, it's hard not to talk about it um, repeatedly when you're talking about this stuff. This is from Nima on LinkedIn. Nima says, what would be the biggest constraint to the advancement of AI in ERP? And I'd say a few things. One is um, we talked earlier on in this discussion, we talked about um, the importance of business processes and the focus on data. I think those are the two biggest constraints right there is that you have organizations that are sitting on decades, uh, decades and reams of data that is valuable or could be valuable in many cases, but in many cases it doesn't, um, it doesn't contain the, uh, it's not clean data. It doesn't contain complete data. Uh, the business processes that are in place are corrupting the data unintentionally because there aren't the right controls in place or, you know, people aren't aware of their upstream and downstream impacts of their processes and their, their impacts on data. So I think those are the biggest impacts is just data and business processes that support the data. If organizations can't figure that out and get that stuff cleaned up, then AI is just not going to advance. Um, it's going to be a cool, sexy, shiny new object that we could try deploying, but it's not going to, it's not going to get us the value that we need or want to justify the investment if we don't clean up our data and have effective business processes too. This is from Ron uh, Nima, or Ron answered Nima. That, that was Nima was the one that just asked the question that I asked a moment ago. Um, but Ron says, Nima, bad data collection, bad processes, and how the overall culture sees how ERP should be used. Those are his view, or Ron's view of how uh, the three things that could hold back the adoption of, of AI usage. And by the way, I want to uh, share one thing too. Um, as you, we're talking about this stuff here, um, all these trends and everything we're talking about, um, one thing you can do if, if you'd like is you can, um, if I can pull it up here, you can um, download our top 10 ERP systems for 2024. Um, it's actually our complete digital enterprise operations report that you can download. If you scan the QR code on the top left side of your screen here, um, you can download our 2024 report that features some of these trends that we're talking about and some of these predictions, as well as independent reviews and rankings of different technology providers in the enterprise tech space. And the report also goes through some of the best practices and lessons uh, from digital transformations over the last year or so. So uh, make sure you scan that QR code if you want a, a copy of that digital enterprise operations report. I'm going to leave that up here as we're, as we're talking through um, the conversation here. We're here talking about the top trends and predictions for 2024. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control.
I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology-independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 149. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also go to that same website to see all the past episodes of this show going back to day one in episode one. So go to transformationgroundcontrol.com and see what you've missed. Uh, we're here talking about top tech trends and predictions for 2024. Let's jump back into the conversation. NASA says with continued AI usage and deployment, there's a stronger need for security and authentication. So it's a great point. We haven't talked about this yet, but cybersecurity in general, that's a that's a big deal. That's becoming more and more important, increasingly important. It's not nearly as sexy and fun to talk about as AI, but it's arguably more important than AI because so many organizations have struggled with data breaches and it feels like they're accelerating. It feels like there's just more people out there that that's all they do. That's their job is to figure out how to hack systems and steal stuff. Um, and I've I imagine there's some large criminal enterprises that have been established just on doing that, you know, ransomware and um, stealing information, that sort of thing. So um, with the, prolifer the proliferation of technologies and the proliferation of cloud technologies in particular, um, and the fact that organizations are going through change, that just creates this sort of disruption of vulnerability within organizations um, to where um, security and auth authentication becomes even more important. And the other thing too, that's really interesting is if you, you look at some of these other trends we talk about where, where I talk about interoperability or we just talked about interoperability and applications, multiple platforms that organizations are using to um, enable their digital transformations. When you have these various different technologies in use throughout an organization, you're just creating or multiplying the number of exposure points or potential loopholes from a security perspective. And so, for example, you could implement a core ERP system, a modern ERP system, really tight security, all the security features you need and watch. Your security user profiles are locked down and you've got it all figured out and dialed in. But then you've got this third party system over here on the side that integrates with the ERP system. That system is not as tightened up or locked down or there's some sort of security vulnerability there in the way it was designed or the users have some sort of security vulnerability. It's not necessarily the core big ERP system that's getting attacked. It's these third-party systems or these bolt-on systems that are creating the vulnerabilities and it's exposing the mass amounts of data and exposing the ERP systems or the core back office systems to these security issues. And there's been multiple um, data breaches and security breaches that are high-profile ones in the news over the last few years that have been a result of that. So that's one thing you really have to watch for, especially if you're using old legacy systems and you're integrating those old legacy systems to newer technologies. Newer technology might be tightened down, but if your legacy tech that remains isn't, and that legacy tech is somehow in integrating with your newer technologies, it's going to create a, a vulnerability or an opening there. So great point about cybersecurity. That's one that uh, I don't think that one's going to slow down anytime soon. I think that one's going to become, who knows, maybe that's the next big thing. You know, as AI cools off and settles down a bit, it could be that cybersecurity is the next big thing. I feel like it was kind of headed that way. I feel like cybersecurity was a really big buzzword and talking point until AI came along. 
And by the way, AI, just look, coming back to AI, AI creates a whole nother security problem too, because now, you know, you've got these open AI models where, you know, what happens to that data? Do you own the data? Who owns the data? If you're, if you're, you know, using an open AI model to interpret your data, um, that sort of thing, uh, it does make you wonder what's going to happen to all that data, who, who's responsible for protecting it and owning it, all that stuff. And we had, um, several months ago, earlier this year, we had Marcus Harris as a guest on the show, and we talked about ChatGPT and AI and what the legal implications were or are. And he was talking, you know, in that episode, which was really good, by the way, if you can go back and find it, just go to, um, if you go to transformationgroundcontrol.com, um, I wish I had the episode number just to make it easier for you, but transformationgroundcontrol.com is where you can find all the past episodes. But um, you can also just search Transformation Ground Control Marcus Harris and find the most recent episode that he was on here in 2023. And he talks a lot about that stuff. And it's really interesting because he talks about how, um, I think he was talking about how um, some consultants, some outside technical consultants were using client data to you and they're using ai i think it was to um to to interpret data or to, to to create some sort of analysis using open ai and he was talking about how they were taking confidential proprietary um client sensitive information and using it in the in the ai model and i might be you know some of my details may not be exact here but the general gist of it is he was talking about the vulnerabilities that that creates and the legal risk and the data privacy and the intellectual property risk that that creates when you use an open AI model or when you use other third-party solutions uh, to store or house uh, some of this data if it's not if it's not locked down. So that's something to be aware of and be sure to check out that episode uh, if you get a chance to, that's a really good one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna combine two questions here because they're very similar coincidentally, and they're both from YouTube too. Uh, one here is from David who says, where do you see Dynamics FNO in the future and what is SAP currently doing now? And then uh, AD from YouTube asked, where do you see Business Central in 2024? And that's uh, another version of Microsoft D365. So start with what David's question was, you know, where do you see D365 and SAP? Um, I will say that if you scan that QR code that I mentioned at the top of the screen, uh, it says top 10 ERP systems on it um, because that report that you, you get when you scan that QR code features our top 10 ranking or independent top 10 ranking of systems. And Microsoft D365 FNO is number one on our top 10 list. Um, we're not affiliated with Microsoft. We don't sell Microsoft. We don't care if you use Microsoft or if any of you ever buy Microsoft it doesn't affect us at all. But but the reason we rank it so high is because of its, you know, sort of the combination of its uh, scale and flexibility. It's sort of giving you a lot of different options in terms of being able to scale for the needs of big companies. But it's got flexibility that provides a lot of options for um mid-sized companies and, and uh, you know, certainly multinational, larger organizations as well. So I think D365 has, has a very strong future. It's Microsoft owned, obviously, so that, uh, you know, Microsoft can do their thing with integrating with SharePoint and Windows and making it stickier, you know, a stickier solution for Microsoft shops. So I think all those things point to a pretty bright future for D365 FNO. Um, SAP with S4HANA, I mean, they, they've got... I guess it's sort of a good news, bad news sort of thing. The, the, the bad news, if you start with that first, uh, the bad news is they have a lot of customers that have not yet started their migration path to S4 HANA. So you have a lot of legacy SAP customers still using uh, R3 and ECC. 
So what that means is that, that they haven't been as effective as they could be with getting more customers to shift over to S4 HANA, despite their sunsetting deadlines for ECC and, and uh, R3. Um, but the good news for them is that means that two thirds of their customer base are likely to go through an S4 HANA implementation here in the next couple of years. So um, good news for SAP, that might be bad news for organizations trying to do that all at once because it's going to exasperate the problems I described earlier with labor shortages and too much change all at once and organizations moving too quickly because they're being forced to by their vendors. Um, that's contributing to, to transformation failures and something that we all certainly need to keep an eye on. And then the, this uh, follow-up question here, this separate question here from AD, where do you see Microsoft Business Central in 2024? Um, I'm not sure. That's a great question. I have sort of mixed feelings on it. I think Business Central is a great alternative to, to NetSuite. So, you know, NetSuite is doing a really good job marketing themselves and expanding their footprints in different verticals within the small and mid market. Um, Business Central isn't as common, in, at least in certain parts of the world. I know Business Central and um, I believe in Latin America and parts of Asia Pacific uh, is very prevalent. Um, NetSuite, I'd say, has more of a global footprint, you know, across the world. Um, but I think there's a lot of potential for Business Central. Um, and I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, it, it gives you an option if you're not sold on uh, Oracle NetSuite or one of the other smaller ERP systems out there. So I think it, it could have a bright future. Um, anything that focuses on small and mid-market is always a, you know, usually that's a going to point to a pretty bright future if you can tap into that market. There's a comment from uh, M. Groovy Sunday. Eric, I like the comment you just made. Who needs a guest when all of you are here? Love it. Well, thank you. This is actually super easy. I don't have to, I don't have to think a lot. All I have to do is ask you guys a bunch of questions and read your comments and that sort of thing. And it, it makes it a lot easier. So, uh, I would say the joke's on you, but I don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> it's a, you're making it easier for me. So thank you is probably a better way to say it. Here's another comment from, uh, Lisa on LinkedIn, ac accuracy of the data generated streaming data. Um, I think that's a response to the question about what's going to prevent AI from taking hold or, or becoming more prevalent. Um, you know, what about blockchain is another comment here from LinkedIn. You know, I think that's what back to the point we were just making earlier. I don't think blockchain's going anywhere. It just doesn't have all the hype it had before because it's getting overshadowed by AI. But I think blockchain is one that you still want to keep an eye on because it, uh, you know, part of the reason why the blockchain hype has settled down too is partly because of the crypto, uh, the cryptocurrency hype has settled down quite a bit. And I think, you know, the, the dust has settled, you know, over all the hype over, over crypto. And I think some of the, you know, that hype has sort of come and gone and the underlying technology with cryptocurrency is blockchain, but from an enterprise technology perspective, blockchain is really effective at traceability and food and beverage and supply chains, things of that nature. So think about, you know, what blockchain can do for an organization that produces food and they have a, a recall you know, they can trace back which lot, you know, which lot of raw material caused or is associated with the recall. And it allows organizations to tra trace back through the supply chain, you know, where, where those products are, you know, the ones that use that certain lot that's getting recalled, um, where did they get, where did they get shipped to, who has them, um, allows you to track everything along the supply chain. So it can be super effective in, in situations like that, but even a, a, a manufacturing supplier of widgets could benefit from blockchain because it's it's tracking that that information along the way. I think the difference is, you know, blockchain is more of a blocking and tackling sort of a fundamental sort of technology, underlying technology that allows you to have that visibility and traceability throughout the supply chain. Whereas AI is more 
broader than that. It can do a lot of different things. It can do more predictive stuff, the generative AI stuff where you can ask it questions. It, in some cases, can replace the need for creating reports or custom reports. It can replace the need from having to navigate a bunch of clunky screens. Now you can just ask the system what, what it is you need and get it. So AI is a lot broader, and I think that's why you hear more about AI, because there's so many different use cases uh, with AI or potential use cases with AI, whereas blockchain is a little bit more focused and is a little bit more fundamental to, a, to some of the basic business processes. We're here talking about the top trends and predictions for 2024. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Crop. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 149. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also go to that same website to see all the past episodes of this show going back to day one in episode one. So go to transformationgroundcontrol.com and see what you've missed. Uh, we're here talking about top tech trends and predictions for 2024. Let's jump back into the conversation. This is an interesting point that sort of ties together two trends here that we talked about. This is from Paul on LinkedIn. Attackers build their AI models to support their effort which is super interesting. I had never thought of that and honestly didn't realize that, that cyber attackers, I, I presume you're talking about cyber attackers and hackers and that sort of thing. Um, they're building AI models to support their efforts, which would make sense. I mean, it, it's a pretty manual effort. When I see some of the phishing emails I get, um, it's remarkable how much time must have been put into that one email, but it would make sense that AI, in addition to benefiting the legitimate organizations throughout the world could also benefit the nefarious actors too. I think with um, AI, the one thing that freaks me out a little bit is the uh, how powerful the generative AI models are with like creating a video of me, for example, if I want to create a video AI generated of me, which I've, I've tested out before, it's kind of creepy is I can create a video of me saying all these things that are not true or that I totally disagree with, but someone could create an AI model of me saying things that I never said and never would say, but it looks and sounds just like me. And so this deep fake type stuff, I think is where, you're, you know, I think that's where it's going to get real creepy because, you know, what happens when I send a video of a CEO of a big company to an employee saying, hey, I need you to do whatever. I need you to do something illegal. And uh, it looks totally legit because it looks and sounds like the CEO of that company or whatever. So there's a lot of weird stuff that I think could we'll start to see and a lot of fallout, uh, negative uh, aspects of AI. Um, so it really further perpetuates the need for cybersecurity, not just keeping the hackers out, but just educating the workforce about this stuff because um, they're getting cyber attackers are getting increasingly creative with their with their ways of uh, going about it. I had one recently, by the way, I'll share this example. It was uh, it, I don't know if this was AI generated or not, but I got a 
an email from uh, Fiji Water who wanted to sponsor this podcast. They said, you know, we're an ad agency for Fiji Water. Um, we want to um, sponsor your show. And here's what here's the details of what we want. And we are, you know, we, we just recently started accepting sponsorships on the show, uh, brand partnerships and that sort of thing. And so it was something I looked into. And so I emailed them back and they responded quickly with all this information. The video, they sent YouTube videos of these are the clips we want to include. Here's a profile of our company, very legitimate sounding, very well-written email. And then when I said, yeah, I'd love to hear more. They said, here's our, um, here's how much we're willing to pay. And here's the paperwork you need to fill out. And it had a little attachment uh, link on it. And then I realized, oh, wait, this looks like a phishing scam. I don't feel like I should click on this. So I emailed them back and said, can you send me a PDF instead of whatever this weird attachment is? And uh, they never replied and said, no, no, just click the what we sent you. And I, I Googled it. I, I Googled the email address it was coming from and saw, you know, all these posts of people who said, yeah, I fell for this. It's a it's some sort of malware. They're trying to get me a click on, um, which would take over my I don't know if it's my email or my computer or whatever. So anyway, I bring this up because it's it's stuff like that, really creative uh, ways that people are using technology or, or using um, phishing and other cybersecurity vulnerabilities to, to get what they want. And usually what they want is not a good thing for you. Lots of stuff here. Wow. Okay. Um, and I'm not complaining, by the way, this is awesome. So here's an interesting one from uh, Paul on LinkedIn. So Paul says the issue with AI is that if it is not trained with factual data, it can move in a direction that is not the intended direction. That's a really good point worth noting and uh, worth underscoring is that if you have faulty data or flawed data in your AI models, your AI models are going to be wrong. And so as powerful as they can be, they're only as powerful as the data you have. So back to the earlier questions about, you know, business processes and cleaning up data and things of that nature. Um, that's why it's so important to keep it, uh, keep the, those data sets as clean as possible. And this is something that organizations have been struggling with for decades now. And it's something we've been advising organizations on for decades now. So this is nothing new. Data is, has been important. It's been something that organizations have struggled with. They've struggled to clean it up in the first place when they've migrated the data and then they've struggled to keep it clean when they have business processes that touch the data and unintentionally compromise the data. But organizations are going to have to figure that out. I mean, they have to in order to leverage AI. So I think it's a great point because uh, otherwise you're going to see a lot of organizations out there that just waste a ton of time and money on AI and they can't get the value out of it or they delay the value because the data is so screwed up that they um, they, they can't uh, can't get what they need. So here's a question uh, from Rodrigo. On LinkedIn, Rodrigo says, will AI in the enterprise create winners and losers based on the AI strategy each ERP vendor has? What are your thoughts? Well, I, I think it could. I mean, I think eventually over time, I would think AI is going to be somewhat of a level playing field and sort of a minimum ante to provide a viable ERP solution. So at some point, you're going to see some equalization there or normalization if, or leveling of the playing field with ERP vendor use of data. Um, in the short term, though, I think you are going to have uh, winners and losers. I guess it's, I suppose it's a matter of how big of a winner and how big of a loser are you, you know, based on the software vendor you've, you've chosen. Um, I could see more winners. Um, you know, you're going to have losers for sure. You're going to have companies that invest in a product that doesn't have AI capabilities or even worse, they're going to invest all this money for the vision or the possibility of an AI driven enterprise only to find they've invested a lot of time and money in something that they can't get the value out of because of all the stuff we've talked about before, which is all the data integrity issues and the business process issues. 
So you could have losers in that way, but I think the winners are the ones that figure it out. I mean, the winners could pull out way ahead of the pack by um, if they have the right data, they have the right processes and they have the right technologies and the right organizational culture and focus and job designs to be able to leverage AI. Those organizations could really, you know, pull away, you know, from their peers considerably if you think about it. So, but I will say it's not just, I wouldn't say it's going to be because a software vendor provides a better AI solution. I don't think that'll be the reason why you'll have winners. I think it'll be because they figure out how to take any one of the software vendors that have AI driven solutions and they do it really well with business processes and data integrity, organizational design, organizational change and training and culture. They do all that stuff that becomes their secret sauce. And the ones that figure all that stuff out are the ones that will become the winners. And then you'll have sort of the, the rest of the pack um, a bit further behind them. So another comment here from uh, Kyler on LinkedIn. I feel that no one wants to talk about cybersecurity as it, it should weak, as it shows weakness in the business and consumers are, are less likely to engage with the brand. Um, it's a great point. I mean, in just adding to that, who wants to talk about cybersecurity? I mean, it's not, it's not nearly as cool. You look at like AI, that's cool, fun to talk about. That's possibilities and, you know, upside. It's sort of a positive view of technology, whereas cybersecurity is all defense. Um, you know, and I, whenever I watch sports, I love defense. So it's, I'm kind of weird. I don't like the offensive scoring and things like that. I, I like it, but I, it's not nearly as fun to me as watching the defense. Uh, Cause I think defense is harder and it's just more intriguing to me. Um, and this is coming from a non, I have, I have no business stating an opinion here. Cause I'm not a professional athlete and I, nor did I ever really do a lot with sports, team sports. Um, but I think, you know, cybersecurity is sort of like the defense of, of uh, technology. It's not nearly as fun and cool to, to talk about it or watch it as like an offense based technology, like AI, I would say AI is like offense, cybersecurity is like defense. Um, you need both, right? You have to have good offense and good defense. Uh, but a lot of times, a lot of us want to want to focus on the offense because it's more fun and exciting at times, except for me. I'm, but I'm, I think I'm an anomaly or an outlier in that way. I don't, I don't know a lot of people that like defense more than offense. Um, and then thank you, Ryan from our team dropped in the LinkedIn chat, the link to the YouTube, um, episode of transformation ground control that, that has that episode with Marcus Harris. So you can find that there. Thank you for uh, dropping that in the chat. And, um, we're, we're running out of time here, so I might get to one more question and then, uh, so here's a question I'll close with. I think it's a good career based question. This is from Zlatan on, um, YouTube. And he says, any advice as to how we can get more students involved in the ERP world? What are your thoughts on the fresh hires in this industry? It's a great question. I think it's worth uh, asking and, and noting. I think it's uh, there's a lot of opportunity in the ERP world. Um, how to get them more involved? I'd say, you know, if you can create partnerships with consulting firms and software companies that do ERP stuff, create those internship and real bit, real life job experiences for uh, fresh hires. Um, I think that's probably the best way to get them involved in the ERP community. It's also the a great way to groom the next generation of leaders in the space too. You know, the people we're bringing into the space now, you know, and by 20, you know, by the 2040 or whatever it is, they're going to be the ones leading the space. So we should probably get, we should probably get started on that. You know, if we want to see what that next generation of leaders are going to do here in the, in the next 10 or 20 years. Um, so I think that's probably the best way. All right. Good stuff. Thank you to the audience for such great questions. Uh, really good questions in additions to that discussion. It's always fun to look ahead and try to predict the future, even though none of us are really good at it and some of us are better than others. So uh, fun to hear sort of collectively from this global community 
what uh, what's on your minds and what you're thinking will happen here in 2024 and beyond. So great stuff. We, we've got some more to cover. We're going to debrief on some of those uh, trends here in just a moment. We're also going to have uh, Adam Cheatham on the show to talk about the rise of project restoration and digital transformation. A lot more to cover. Uh, we're going to take a, a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 149. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyla Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And Kyler, we just had this uh, really engaging conversation with a lot of audience participation, which was awesome, uh, talking about top trends and predictions for 2024 as it relates to technology. What were some of your thoughts and takeaways from that conversation? Absolutely. Well, such great engagement. And thank you for all of the great learnings from the audience, because I learned a lot um, from them um, as well. So I think it you you talked about um, how you're, you would have guessed in our top 10 skills list more about the human side, soft side. And I was surprised in these um, this piece that you didn't have more on the human side, the organizational change. And you could argue money, all of these shouldn't include organizational change management. Um, but I wonder kind of what your thoughts are on the human elements of, say, AI or ERP as a platform approach or all of the varieties that you just put. Is that still kind of a critical component? And has it become... Um, in 2023, as you predicted, a main source in that we really don't even need to talk about it anymore because it is absolutely critical and people really understand that at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you say that because I, in the past, I used to do the top 10 predictions for the coming year. And in those 10, I would always include a lot of the soft stuff. This, this year I chose just to do top five, mainly for brevity sake to you know keep it as a relatively short bite-sized YouTube video. Um, but you're right. I mean, you can't look at this technology stuff in isolation without looking at the soft side. And um, and I suppose the other caveat would be that a lot of the soft stuff we talk about when it's whether it's change management or project management, uh, communication, a lot of the in-demand skills you were talking about in the opening segments, um, those are sort of constants. You know, those aren't really emerging. They're not big trends. It's just sort of like you need to do that stuff right. So not that you want to be dismissive of it. You definitely don't want to gloss over it and skip over it, which, you know, we are at risk of doing if we don't bring it up like like you are here. So I think it's it's a good good question and really worth uh, diving into for sure. Absolutely. And, and we got an interesting question. So I, I, I saved this one for our debrief because I was interested in kind of the conversation around it. And it has to do with the trends of how you pay 
for enterprise technology. So we talk about kind of software as a subscription or the overall kind of cost of implementing this from uh, a level of a macro investment versus a micro investment. So is that something that you've seen as far as more flexibility in the investment side of looking at kind of a digital transformation in the fact that you can either choose on the operational execution side to do it on more incremental level or that you have more of the SaaS software as a subscription service in the fact that you pay fees differently. So I thought I might bring that one up because we didn't touch on it in that conversation. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Great question. I'd say, you know, it, it depends, you know, how important it depends on what at a CFO from the CFO perspective on down at an organization, there is usually a bias or preference towards, um, you know, a heavier CapEx structure versus a heavier OpEx structure. And I think you have to look at that too, you know, because moving to the cloud means you're doing less capital expense up front that you're depreciating over time and you're increasing your operating expense. Uh, in most cases, if not, yeah, I'd say most cases, um, cloud migrations are going to increase your operating expenses longer term. Um, yes, you're going to save some money because you don't have servers and stuff like that um, on your balance sheet. Although if you had really old servers, you probably fully depreciated all that stuff anyway. So it's not really affecting your um, your bottom line. Um, the bigger, more material thing might be that, you know, you're able to reduce some of the um, some of the labor costs associated with maintaining some of these legacy systems. So there could be some cost savings there. So you have to look at the full picture, I'd say, you know, look at your full impact of capital expenditure versus operating expenditure. Some organizations might actually be doing themselves a disservice moving to the cloud just from a pure CFO perspective, because now you can't depreciate this stuff. Now your OPEX, your, your cost structure has gone up. Um, you've reduced the assets on your balance sheet. You've reduced the, um, you know, you've reduced the depreciation uh, cost, but you may have replaced it with something more expensive than depreciation, which is the, the operating expense. So I think that's part of it. And the other thing too, is I think cloud, you know, cloud software vendors want to say that they provide a more flexible model, but in reality, it's really not. It's sort of locking you into this perpetual license structure or subscription structure that never goes away. Or it, and if it does go away, it's super difficult to get off that system or to cut back the footprint or whatever. So yeah, it sounds good in theory because you can buy as you go, I guess it's a consumption-based thing, but it's really, really hard to back out or get out of that consumption-based model. And I don't think we've really seen the collateral damage from that yet. I think it's going to be another 10 years or so before we start to see companies kicking and screaming because they can't get out of their contracts or they, you know, for whatever reason, they outgrow their cloud solution. And, you know, as much as cloud vendors want to say that their software is future-proof and they're investing all this R&D, blah, blah, blah. Um, the fact of the matter is your organization and your technology oftentimes become misaligned over time. And there's going to come a day where you need to get out of that contract. And what do you do when that time comes? Yeah, absolutely. I think kind of the the core thesis, it sounds like, is very similar to AI, is the importance of understanding, whether it's your total cost of ownership, whether it's, you know, the actual execution and understanding of the emerging technologies within your system, all those different things, and really kind of wading through uh, the overall sales jargon or industry jargon that might be going on when it comes to fancy names or, or sales pitches. Uh, so definitely some some good transparency there. So Eric, one thing we didn't touch on that I'm hoping you might be able to leave us with some tactics to troubleshoot is that real issue or trend of IT labor shortage. What do you do if you're in a, a situation where you just, you know, invest all this money or considering investing all of the capital you just mentioned 
and you don't have the ability to manage or create maintenance around the system because you don't have those internal competencies. How can you source additional labor? How can you troubleshoot that or really strategically look at the need for IT labor when the labor market isn't great? Yeah, it, it, you you hit one exactly on the head, which was the uh, building the internal competency. I mean, the, the probably the biggest thing you can do to mitigate their risk is to focus not on finding the skills themselves via, you know, your technical solution provider, but instead figuring out how do we find the skills to upskill our team? You know, how can we get our team trained? Yeah, we're not going to become experts in the technology overnight, but we can start to move the needle in building those competencies. So that's probably the biggest one. And then, you know, the other hedging or mitigation mechanism you can use as it relates to the IT skill shortages is to, um, is to add some buffer to your implementation plan. So in other words, if a vendor is proposing a 12 month implementation, you may say, well, sounds good in theory, but because of labor shortages and the fact that software vendors are usually over optimistic to begin with, maybe we're just gonna assume an 18 month implementation and spread those costs out over 18 months instead of 12 months. Um, Cause then what happens otherwise is you plan on 12 months run into IT labor shortages and the project just keeps getting pushed out and the run rate doesn't come down enough to justify those extensions and then suddenly you're over budget. So those are just two of the big ones that come to mind, two big ways to hedge those risks. Absolutely. And if you have any insight to my questions here, um, definitely pop them in the comments um, and we'll grab them and kind of be able to discuss them in some of our short form content as well. But what a great um, opportunity to kind of talk about those trends. If you want more, because that was really, truly just scratching the surface, um, definitely head over to Eric's YouTube channel. He has a lot of, of top 24 or top 24 and 2024 top content and trends of what you need to look for um, in your strategies going into next year. We also have our 2024 digital enterprise operations report, which you can scan via the the QR code and the link below um, and get not only our top 10 list, but also kind of what are the top 10 strategies and what do you need to do as far as getting that playbook and getting your project healthy for next year. So thank you for that great conversation. And thank you to the audience for all of the great insights as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you to the audience. That was super, super helpful and uh, very engaging conversation. A lot of good insights uh, from the audience, which is why sometimes it's fun not having a, a guest for that segment because then you, the audience can take more control of the, of the conversation, which is always great. Um, well, good. Well, we're going to um, get to our next segment here in just a moment. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll have Adam Cheatham on the show talking about uh, the rise of digital transformation project restoration. So in other words, uh, how do we prevent a failure? How do we adjust to failures and problems and challenges along the way? And, uh, you know, just the whole rise of that project restoration movement, which we're seeing uh, impact our business and the, and the types of services that clients are asking for from us. And that's really the context of what we'll dive into with Adam. So we're going to get to that here in just a moment. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Just tell me what Hi, my name is Eric Kimberling. I'm your host here on Transformation Ground Control. And if you haven't already, I want to invite you to buy my new book. It's called The Final Countdown, Strategies to Reach the Third Stage of Digital Transformation. It's my first book. I'm very proud of it. I love this book. And it, it was my attempt to create a summary and a playbook for what it takes to be successful in defining a digital strategy and a roadmap for your organization. So there's a lot of things we can cover when we talk about digital transformation. We talk about a lot of stuff on this show, but I wanted to condense it into a readable sort of a sequential format 
that made it easy to help define a digital strategy for project teams that is unique to your organization, unique to your goals and objectives. So really uh, hope you'll you'll read it. I hope you enjoy it. Again, it's called The Final Countdown. You can read that book by scanning the QR code right here in front of you, or you can go to thefinalcountdown.com. Um, again, it's it's been an Amazon bestseller since it came out, so I encourage uh, you to check it out and love to hear your views and your comments on it too. So The Final Countdown, my new book, you can go to thefinalcountdown.com or scan the QR code in front of you. Hope you enjoy, and we'll see you soon. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 149. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. Excited for our next guest who has been a, a frequent guest on our show. In fact, he was just on a couple episodes ago uh, talking about some of the top ERP systems for 2024. That's a great episode too. I think that's episode number 147, if I remember correctly. So be sure to check that out uh, if you haven't already. But uh, he's back. He's back for more. He's going to be on the show here. Uh, Adam Cheatham, that is. He's from the Third Stage Consulting Team. He's a managing director here on our team in the U.S. And uh, he's going to be on the show here talking with you, Kyler, about the rise of project restoration in digital transformation. So uh, really curious to hear where this conversation goes. So I'll hand it over to you, Kyler. I'm looking forward to having this conversation around project restoration or recovery um, with our managing director here at Third Stage Consulting Group, Adam Cheatham. But before we get into it, this is supposed to be an interactive conversation. At Third Stage, we're incredibly mission-driven when it comes to diversification and bucking that trend of 80 plus percent project failure. So I brought Adam on to talk to us, not only from a delivery standpoint in when clients or our network engage us when when um, our projects are, are in an, an area in which they need some triage, but also from an expert witness perspective and looking at how our independent and technology agnostic stance in the marketplace helps us to actually act as expert witness when the case, hopefully not for any anyone listening here, but it does happen, goes to litigation. So with that, thank you, Adam, so much for joining us. Will you give us just a quick introduction, your background and your role here at Third Stage? Yeah, so uh, my name is Adam Cedar. I'm a managing director at Third Stage Consulting Group, um, and I play a number of different roles. Uh, first and foremost, my primary role is, is the day in and day out orders of business, right? When we have projects, software, implementations and, and the like, I help work at, uh, strategically to direct those teams and the teams and, and give the teams the tools that they need to be able to help our clients implement their software effectively. Um, other parts of my job include the idea that um, a lot of our clients come to us because their implementation is failing and finding out how to just redirect that and, and, and bring that onto a more successful trajectory. And then I also am one of our expert witnesses at, at Third Stage Consulting Group, where I um, provide analysis to attorneys who are trying to um, conduct a root cause analysis of what went wrong and, and, and why, so they can then determine what it is their case looks like in, court, in, in courts and things like that. So um, a whole slew of different things from uh, from that perspective, but the, the the goal is always to focus on the business, right? Um, whether it's implementing well and preparing for that, what does your business need and what's their capacity for being able to support this implementation from a remediation perspective, how involved have they been and how uh, how successful have we been in that? And then from uh, an expert witness perspective and understanding how did it go and how did the business do on their side of it, um, as well as how did the, the partners and the integrators do 
um, all with a focus on what happens with the business, right? If um, if there were no negative business impacts, people wouldn't sue each other over failed implementations. So the goal is not to have that, and my job is to help our clients achieve our third stage of digital transformation success. Absolutely. Well, definitely a very fun front and center seat to why um, digital transformations may fail or where projects often need um, to be restored. So a lot of people don't know this about third stage, but the majority of work that comes to us is a lot of times projects that they're either aren't sure if they're on track or they know that they're kind of in the red and they need to write the course in order to be successful. And that's why they come out and engage third stage. Um, so what what does that look like or what are some main indicators that your project may be in the red or in trouble that you might need to consider restoration strategies? Yeah, that's a really a very good question. And there, there's a whole lot wrapped up in that. I would say, first and foremost, if you don't know your projects in the green, it's not. Uh, that's generally a safe assumption. If it's not being reported as all green and you know that there's a reason that it is and, and that you have confidence in, in that reason, the likelihood that something is amiss is pretty high. Um, now, that kind of relies on the idea that implementations don't happen by accident. They're very deliberate in nature and they take a lot of work. So if you're not sure that all of that work is being accomplished to the expectations that you have, the likelihood that it isn't is pretty high. So that's that's one thing. If you don't know, then you should be worried. Um, other things that start to think uh, make me think that things are, are wrong are clients who say things, uh, well, the, there are the obvious things, like, right? We were supposed to go live in 12 months. We're now looking at month 36, right? Like, obviously, there's something wrong. Um, there's also the, the challenge of, um, well, it was supposed to cost a million dollars and now we spent two. All, obviously, something's wrong, right? Um, in some of those cases, it might be the, the expectations were set poorly up front. Uh, I don't know how many times I've had a system integrator uh, tell a client that their implementation is going to happen in 12 months. And then 18 months in, client is wondering why they haven't gone live. And part of the answer is, because you were never going to go live in 12 months. That was a fantasy to begin with. So there's some of that to, in play there too, but the, um, where you are in comparison to your timeline is important. Um, other things that are, are things that we look for and, and analyze are, um, how do I know my project is proceeding on time and on budget? Is it because the days are changing? And we're now one day closer to going live, and so we're one day more complete. That's not really technically true. Um, now, it may be for you because the work is being done, but what you want to be tracking is percent complete regardless of timeline, right? Um, so one of our, our recent clients that we were working with um, has been tracking more of the, well, we're just we're a month closer to, to going live. And that's why we think we're, we're going to be there. So that's not exactly what you want to be looking at. You want to be able to say, we had this many tasks to complete, and we are approximately 50% done with those tasks. So we're approximately halfway there. So those are the, the, the um, some things that are, that are useful and helpful. 
Um, another great example of things that might be reasons to consider whether or not you are on track or off track is the, um, the testing cycle should give you a lot of information uh, on where you're at. It's, that's late in a project to find out whether or not you are or aren't on track, but it does give you a feeling of where, where we're at, right? Are all of my scripts failing? Yes or no. If we built a whole bunch of uh, functionality and none of it works, that's a problem that should tell you something. So you can look at your test results there as well. And first round of testing is never 100% accurate, right? It's never 100% built perfectly. Uh, frankly, you never go live with 100% perfect build. There are you know, defects and bugs are a reality of life. That's why Microsoft Teams ruins my life every week or so with an update. Be careful. <laughs> Microsoft already doesn't care for you after your Great Plains. After my Great Plains. Yeah. Well, no, that's more the system integrators, so there's that. But um, there, there are a whole bunch of different ways of, of looking at whether or not your implementation is on track or not. And many of them should be based on how much work is actually being done versus how much work should be done already. And that's really what you want to be tracking. At the end of the day, um, if you're going to build a house and somebody says it's going to cost me $100,000 to build this house, and they say, all right, now you spend $80,000 building it, and you come out and they poured the foundation and that's it, you probably get an idea visually of percentage complete versus actual spend. They should be very, very well in line. Percentage complete and, that, and percentage spent should be pretty close. Um, one other thing that's worth thinking about as you're, think, as you're considering where you are is how are your requirements being understood by your system integrator? Uh, we did a, a pretty significant uh, remediation for a client that was uh, – one of their biggest challenges and one of the, the red flags that they came to us with that we, we keyed in on was, I don't think they understand what we're asking for when we say we want certain things. And the, through discovery on that, it was, okay, how do you know that you don't think that? Well, in our, in our design workshops, we ask for this, and then they say they're going to build this, and they sound the same, and then when we get out and they show it to us, it's 100% different than what it is we need. There's, that's, some, that's not just a, uh, a challenge in, in getting things together. That's a problem in your system integrator's ability to understand your business. That's different and is a significant implementation red flag. Now, in other cases, your system integrator may be understanding you quite well, and they may be representing that. And then as they start to build things, they start saying, all right, this is custom, this is custom, this is custom. And then they build you something and it doesn't get all the way there. Um, you know, we, we recently started a project with an organization that was in more of that bucket where it's, it's kind of a now we don't exactly know where this is going to fall from a functionality perspective, what module it ought to be in. And it seems that it's not the ERP. But it is a significant enough piece of functionality that it would need to integrate with the ERP, and I don't know where I'm going to get that functionality from. And so for them, their challenge is how do we how do we complete that loop and saying it's got to go out to something else. I don't even know what the something else is yet, but I know it's not ERP, and that's got to loop back into the ERP, and that's what we're going to, part of what will help them with. So 
those are all more nuanced ways of knowing um, that are different than the, well, I'm obviously 12 months past my original timeline. Well, let's unpack those a little bit because that was a lot of great information, but I think summarizing the specifics would be helpful. So you talked a lot about the relationship between your vendor or system integrator, another partner that essentially you're helping on your implementation team. Something that was said by one of our clients recently that really resonated with me was Third Stage came in and healed our relationship with Vendor X. And so that's a lot of time what we see when it comes to the need there for remediation, restoration, is to really understand, speak the same language as you mentioned of the vendor, understand the outputs with the system integrator, and then also just be able to get in, involved in the relationship and make sure everyone's working together. Because a lot of times, once we come in, it's not a great relationship sometimes anymore. There's been a, a lot of mistrust there. So can you tell us a little bit about how specifically from the vendor relationship angle, how do you ensure that your project is going to stay on track when you might have some issues within that relationship? Yeah, that's a great question. And the, um, I'll avoid the, if you think you have issues in that relationship for a minute and just focus on what you ought to be asking for. So um, if you ask a technical user or technical team member to do something non-technical and be good at it, you're asking a lot, right? Just like if you ask somebody who is more of a business user to do something technical and they're not good at it. Right. But the idea here is to match up the skill set with the need of the of the role um, uh, one for one. Right. And the way we think about it at third stage is, is a team approach. I like to talk about an implementation network that's a that's necessary for actually doing a good job at this. And you need the technical team. Yes, you can't avoid it. You're implementing software. Right. Somebody's going to write code for you. And that's okay. It's not going to be your business users uh, by any means, but it is going to be somebody technical. So you want that skill set and you want to leverage it well. And then you want to stop and say, what other skill sets do I need? And how do I fill those with, with folks that have high competencies in them? So if you ask a technical person to make business decisions and then they're bad at it, you shouldn't be surprised. Often, People are surprised because they assume that because you're good at one thing, you're good at another. And that's just simply not the case. And the way that I like to think about it is um, in a sports analogy, right? If you take, um, we'll take American football, for example, and say, I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to take my quarterback and I'm going to replicate them. And I'm going to have a team full of quarterbacks. They're going to play every single position and you are going to lose every single game. They may be great quarterbacks but they're not great tacklers or not great blockers or anything like that. So surprise, surprise, when they try to tackle somebody, it's a disaster. Ask Peyton Manning. He's tried to do it before, and it's pretty hilarious. There are videos all over YouTube about that. So, yeah, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He's not a good tackler, which is fine. We don't want him to tackle. We want them to do something else, but we do need people who can tackle. So let's go find that skill set and fill it with fill that role with that skill set. When we think about that from an implementation perspective, what that means is 
I want my technical team to do a technically good job. And then I want to have a program manager who's good at program management from a global perspective, not just from a vendor perspective, because your vendor will give you a project manager and say they're responsible for making sure that your project is, is moving along. They're only worried about their own software. They're not worried about your change management work stream, your process management work stream, your data management work stream, all of the other third-party vendors that may be involved. They don't care about any of that. They're going to write code and they're going to say, I wrote all the code, we did all of our job and we're done. And then when you don't, when you try to go live and it's a disaster, they say, well, it's not our fault. We did our job and they're not wrong. You know, there are other holes in that in a lot of cases. And so the goal becomes who's the right position for that? Who's the right uh, person to fill my change management role? Who's the right partner for my PMO? Who's the right partner for my managed services portfolio? That might be a more technically oriented role, but you had to ask all of these questions so that you get all the right people doing something that they're good at and not asking them to do something that they aren't or shouldn't be good at. We're here playing you a clip of Kyler and Adam from the Third Stage Consulting team talking about preventing collapse, the rise of project restoration and digital transformation. We've got a lot more to talk about. We're going to get back into the conversation after we take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high-growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 149. My name is Eric Kimberling. We're here with uh, Kyler Cheatham and Adam Cheatham talking about the rise of project restoration and digital transformation. Let's jump back into the conversation. If you do have fractured relationships and you're looking at these competencies, but you just have lost kind of the trust for your vendor, what are some ways in which you can heal that or really, you know, triage how to make that relationship successful again? Should you be looking for a whole new vendor? Should you be looking at firing your SI? What are some um, pieces in which you, you really have to kind of target that issue? Yeah, so there, there are a couple of pieces and I'll take that kind of in reverse order. Um, looking for a new SI might be on the table. Your system integrator might be bad. And there have been scenarios where we've done, uh, where we've helped clients finish the projects with a bad system integrator. And, and, and that's okay. It, it, was a, it was a mess the whole way. We finally got live. And then for phase two, that system integrator was not kept. And that's fine. Sometimes you're kind of pot committed on that where they know us now. We're two-thirds of the way through this, so we kind of got to power through because to bring somebody else in, it's a, it'll cost us more money than it will be to than it'll cost to, to finish this out. And there's a significant risk that we'll never go live if we just keep swapping out system integrators. So 
changing your system integrator is not something that we take lightly. Sometimes it is necessary. It's early enough. Um, it's a big enough of a, of a train wreck, those types of things to, to pull the plug. That's, that's a, a challenge. The next thing in reverse order is your software vendor, right? The people that sell you your ERP. If you're talking about changing ERP vendors because your implementation is failing, it, it should be because you can say we picked the wrong software. And some of our clients come to us and, and say that um, it's usually after they go live um, and say, yeah, we this isn't the right fit for us. We can't get out of it fast enough. And that's okay. And we'll help them find the right software vendor. But when you're really thinking about replacing your software vendor, you're thinking about changing your ERP and chances are you're already signed up for a five-year deal on your licenses. So changing them, whether it's two years or three years in your implementation because your implementation is failing, is, is still something that you're going to have to pay the, the remaining licenses in most cases, at least a, a significant portion of them. Um, you can negotiate some of that back out, but it's difficult to do. Uh, so we don't often say in the middle of an implementation, you should change your software package. That's you, you picked the wrong one because that's just money that's flushed down the toilet. We want to make good, good use of what we've already spent. So then the, as we're kind of thinking about it in reverse order, thinking about the roles and responsibilities that can be rehabilitated, um, let's say. Um, in the the scenario that you're using, we actually, the system integrator was the vendor and that stayed the same through the rest of the implementation is the same person, same company today. Um, but the difference is we just simply stopped asking them to do things that they weren't good at. And we started doing them instead because we are good at those things. Program management, change management, backfilling, all of those types of pieces of the puzzle. Um, freeing up the business to participate in the implementation itself and then having a good program management change management program all of those things were things that they were asking the system integrator to do that the system integrator has no business even trying to do um they'll try they'll offer to do it because they'll make some money doing it there's a revenue generation on that for them but they just didn't have the skill sets for it so we put those skill sets in our hands because we are good at them and ask the, the vendor and the system integrator to do what they are good at, which is write software. And all of a sudden, they're, they're, they're doing a great job. Software configuration and, and all that stuff is, is going very well. And the relationship is 100% different because we're just simply not asking them to do things that they can't. And that's when kind of third stage comes in and helps identify those types of things because it can be very complex, right? to, as you mentioned, not know what you don't know at the beginning of a project and not be able to really identify those. Those are really nuanced things that not every, you know, business leader or project manager has the ability to identify um, because you're not implementing software every day. So it makes a lot of sense, you know, that you would, you would need some support in identifying that. So we, we talked a little bit about the external factors that can go into the need for a project restoration initiative. What about some of the internal factors that might have little to do with the third party vendor, but yeah. have a lot to do with the business processes or the culture or internalization within the actual client? That's a great question. And as you think about internal factors, uh, the first is, do you have a PM who is dedicated to this project? 
If you don't, then you're doing something wrong. Um, and it, you know, ERP implementation should have a program manager dedicated to it on the client side. And that's whether or not you have other PMs involved from the vendors and, and third-party companies like us. Um, so that's thing one. If you don't have that role filled, you're doing something wrong. Uh, the other part of it is the competition between the, the the life of the business and the implementation itself. Um, we have a lot of clients who struggle to dedicate time to their implementation because they all have day jobs. Business doesn't stop because you sign a contract with an ERP vendor. Uh, many of them would like to think that the world stops without them. <laughs> but uh, that's a different story. At the end of the day, if, if you don't have the sufficient resources on your side to dedicate to it and to, to pull into it, that's a that becomes a problem. And if you have that problem, there are a number of different ways of, of approaching it. One of them is just to slow the pace of the implementation, which um, can be an incredibly unpopular recommendation because now all of a sudden, whoa, we were going to go live in June and now you just told me I got to slow down. So now I got to add more months to it. If you'd make that decision now, you can work with your system integrator to soften the cost difference on that as well. So um, I promise you it'll be better to add six months to your implementation up front and, and take it at your own pace than to find out you're not ready to go live and you've been running hot the whole way anyway. Um, it will cost you more money to add three months at the end of your implementation and, and do it then than it will add than it will take to add six months planfully early in the process. It just is that way. So if you're not able to dedicate the resources at the right uh, appropriate level, then slow down to a level you can accommodate, right? If you need to dedicate a team of five at 40 hours a week and you tell me hey, you can only have them 20 hours a week and you only get four of them, okay, you just doubled the, the length of time, but that's fine. If you're going to take your team and say you can have those people for 20 hours a week instead of for 40, then you, you just added more time, right? That's fine. But you need to tell your system integrator that too. Because if your system integrator is planning to have you for 40 hours a week and you're, you give them 20 for six weeks and then say you can't do it, they spent their six weeks, of the, their last six weeks at full capacity planning on you doing that and you just wasted a bunch of money. Or what they could have done is drop their capacity by 50% because you did and match you in that reduction and that cost comes down. But the cost is the cost, um, and the work is the work at the end of the day. So if it takes 20,000 hours to implement a software system, whether or not you do it in six months or 60 months, um, the, you have to get through all the steps. And if you spend a lot of time up front on fewer steps, you just waste money. And already in a situation where you're having to add additional budget, right? Or having to move budget yeah. because you're you're in a, a situation where you're 
implementation is not successful at this point. I, th I think that's a, a big piece of that is you have a plan. So how do you reconcile with having to add resources, having to add costs, but at least you have, you know, a plan in which you're going to triage the situation as opposed to leaving it up to chance, not actually fixing that root cause that you reference. So I think that's, you know, that's really good insight and really, really good advice. So let's go to kind of the, the polar side of what happens when a project restoration or a digital transformation fails. So we know from a lot of our industry stats that even in 2023, um, over 80% of digital transformations failed. And 70% of that had to do a lot of times with people and resistance within the culture or user adoption. And failure, of course, is on many different levels. And a lot of times your expert witness work is on a very severe level of failure in which they're actually seeking damages from whether it's the system integrator themselves or the client or whomever, right? So can you talk a little bit about kind of what you see when it gets that bad, when a project is in that bad of a, you know, we, all communication has stopped, work has stopped, and or the project has been implemented and it's not achieving maximum business value, what happens in those types of situations that you actually get to the point where there's, you know, litigation happening? Part of it is it becomes a mess on timeline, right? So um, implementation is going overly long. The budget is way over than originally expected. And so everything stops and they say, all right, forget it. We're not going to finish this. Um, I'm not going to pay my licenses anymore and I'm not going to pay the last invoices. I'm going to actually sue you for the ones that I have paid and get back, get money back. So that's one scenario on that side. Um, the flip side on that scenario is software vendor says, right, but you signed the contract. And so you owe me money for those licenses. We're There's nothing in there. This, and um, I, if somebody could show me a software contract that says, if you if your project is not successful in going live, you don't owe us money, um, especially in a subscription services environment like they are today. I'd, um, I'll, I'll make our COO bet for you. I'll buy a beard the size of your head because it really is. It doesn't exist. There isn't a contract out there that I've seen a system integrator or not a system integrator, a vendor being willing to to sign, which says if my software doesn't go live. I don't owe you money, but everybody's assuming uh, during the honeymoon phase and all the contract signing is going to be great. It's going to be fun. I'm excited that everything is going to go well. So you sign that contract saying I'm, um, I'm going to pay all these licenses fees because I'm going to go live in a year. And then three years later, you come back and you say, I want my money back. And system integrator says, nope. And um, your vendor says, nope. And, and I'm actually working with a client right now where they actually had, even to the point where the, the, the attorneys for the vendor told them, you're right. We did tell you that that software can do something that it cannot do. We told you that. You're right. But you still signed a contract. You still owe me money for licenses. So no, you are not off the hook. So we're helping them figure out what their software ought to be and then uh, providing a little bit of guidance along the way on what it, what it might mean to help chip away at, at what it is they owe. They're going to have to pay something. Everybody's got to put a little bit of skin in the game. 
Um, and there has to be a reason for the vendor to want to come back and say, all right, you know what, I will take less because I'm going to get some more somewhere else, right? Yeah. So there's a balance, but we got to help figure that out for them. And that's, that'll be a fun challenge. Gotcha. Certainly. That's all great insight. And we kind of talked about the internal pieces, the external factors, and then ultimately what can happen if you don't engage in making sure that you're riding the ship before the project kind of goes off rails. And so if you are looking at starting an implementation project or you're considering a selection, what are some strategies you can do kind of in that phase zero that we talk about to ensure that you're not going to need to uh, invest additional budget, restoration, all of those different things in the beginning to ensure you're set up for success? Yeah, so if we're, if we're talking about what can we do ahead of time to understand how it is we implement well, um, you wanna take a look at all of your business processes and understand them, know where your pain points are and then how it is you plan to fix them. Um, your pain points may be systems requirements for your for your new ERP. They may also be different types of challenges that need to be fixed differently, right? It's You can't fix a business problem with technology. You have to fix the business problem and then you have to plug in technology after it's fixed. And one of the, uh, the great examples I like to use is I had a client that was, um, they were forecasting their production planning, their final goods production, but not their intermediaries. They weren't forecasting for sub-assemblies and they couldn't figure out why it is they were having problems with their supply chain running through all the way to fulfillment. And it's because they had a black hole in their planning for their sub-assemblies. They didn't plan it. They didn't forecast it. They didn't expect it to be in, in inventory as far as like, I need, I'm going to have this many of this piece and this many of that piece on this date. They just assumed that it was going to be there when they started final goods production. And so they expected the software package to fix that. And actually, that's not gonna fix anything. It's just gonna change the problem to a new system. You have to start forecasting for your intermediaries early and start doing that piece of it and then plug that forecast and production plan into the forecast and production plan for finished goods. Um, software is not going to fix that for you. It's just going to move the problem. So knowing where it is your business problems are and what's going to be technology focused and what's not is a key part of it. Put, uh, putting up a good change management practice early and then managing it all the way through is also a great thing to be paying attention to. Um, and then the last thing is to make sure that you are understanding who you are as a business and what your strategies are to select the right software package prepare well for it, structure your PMO to support an implementation that's set up based on realistic expectations, and then start your project. And then that way you have all the tools that you need to manage it well, and keep an eye on how it's doing, so that if you do start to have issues, and you will, implementations are hard, they will have, they will, there will be problems, and that's okay. Um, you at least are able to identify them as they come up, and then fix them along the way, as opposed to realize that there were problems way late in the process. Absolutely. Those are all great strategies. And I, I will say those are included in our phase zero checklist, which will pop up here as a QR code. It's also in the description, wherever you're getting um, this video or podcast. All right. Thank you, Adam and Kyler. Great conversation and a very, very timely topic as more organizations tend to struggle with their 
digital transformation initiatives and some very good sound advice for how to overcome some of those challenges. So want to thank uh, everyone who was on the show today and, and uh, part of the show today, including the audience. Uh, thank you for all your great questions and participation. As always, if there's questions or comments we didn't get to in this episode, uh, we save those, we come back to those for future question and answer segments in our opening segments of future episodes. So be sure to keep listening. Uh, there's a pretty good probability we're going to get to your questions if we didn't hear today. So thank you for joining here today. Thank you, Kyler, for another great episode. And I uh, hope everyone has a great week and we'll see you next week on Transformation Ground Control.